Welcome to The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. Um, I've got a book here that has been on my shelf for some time, but I just haven't uh, covered it yet in these podcasts. It's called Answering Jehovah's Witnesses, Subject by Subject. The author is David Reed. And just to let you know something about him, he became a baptized Jehovah's Witness in 1969, and he was big into this organization. He was a full-time minister, an elder. He was a presiding overseer. But the more he read the Bible, his personal Bible reading caused him to question the organization, and he was formally uh, kicked out in 1982. He embraced biblical Christianity, and then he's been doing all sorts of writing since then. And he's got a quarterly that he puts out on the Jehovah's Witnesses called Comments from the Friends. But he has books like How to Rescue Your Loved One from the Watchtower, Index of Watchtower Errors, Jehovah's Witnesses Answered Verse by Verse, and some other things. So um, I think what I'll do is start with his uh, first part where he says how to use the book, and then maybe just go to one of his chapters. Uh, I say chapters, one of his topics. So he says uh, the way you use the book is going to depend on why you're using it, what you hope to accomplish. He said if you just want to enlighten yourself and uh, how to be able to refute them, he said just you could do it cover to cover or just, Go to the chapters that sound interesting to you. Uh, on the other hand, if you're actually engaged right now in debating with a JW adversary and you want some instant help, you can find the subjects pretty quickly because it's all alphabetized. But he said if you're working with a particular Jehovah's Witness uh, who uh, you, you want them to see that they're in the wrong, wrong religion, he said you better be careful. If you debate them on random subjects, he says that likely will not accomplish an overturning of their religious thinking. Okay, so I thought that was a good warning there. So he said probably instead of engaging in a debate on a subject that the Jehovah's Witness chooses or something that you find interesting, he said maybe you should start by reading the chapters on channel of communication, God's organization, and mind control. Okay, that sounds good. He says you can see when you read those and talk them over with this person, how the Watchtower Society uses that so-called authority to uphold all sorts of unprovable doctrines, and it's basically a form of brainwashing to, as a way to manipulate the people who follow it. And he says, then you can understand why the organizational doctrine has to be cut down first. You've got to go after the organization first before you go after the specific uh, beliefs of it. He said, if you try to tell a JW why his beliefs are wrong and yours are right, you're going to get fierce resistance, and they'll probably break off the discussion before you can get anywhere. But they have been trained to answer people's questions and to help people who need information. So he said, you can ask for help and rephrase your arguments to present the same evidence, but you do it in the form of questions. You'd be able to accomplish a lot more. So, you know, you could do something like uh, when it comes to failed prophecies, you can say, hey, maybe you could let me know. I, I, I don't understand. I'm kind of confused here. It looks to me like there are a lot of failed prophecies in this organization. What gives? And that's different than saying, your organization is wrong. Here, here's why it's wrong. He said, um, where should you start first? He said, most Christians want to do the Trinity uh, or the deity of Jesus. But he said, they're like not going to produce the results that you want with Jehovah's Witnesses. They've been indoctrinated on those two topics more than anything else, and they can pull all sorts of Bible verses out of context to defend that. And he says, no matter how well you present your argument, they'll reject it because it's coming from you instead of from the Watchtower Society. So that's kind of getting you nowhere. 
He said, probably better not to push hard on the Trinity and the deity of Jesus, but get the big obstacle out of the way, which is the Watchtower organization, and get that gone. Get, get them questioning that first, that brainwashing has to be dealt with before they can reason logically on Scripture. So he said, probably the best thing to do is uh, undermine their confidence in the Watchtower organization by revealing its prophetic failures or the flip-flops on doctrine and the cover-ups that it's had. So I thought that was really useful. He said, uh, you got to knock down the organization's perceived authority and turn off their mind control mechanisms. Then you can go subject by subject through the book here with them. So I thought since the author made the comment about undermining their confidence uh, by revealing prophetic failures, I turned to that section next, which is, uh, here we go, it's called False Prophecies. It's just A through Z, everything about the Jehovah's Witnesses. So I went to F, False Prophecies, and I'd like to spend the rest of the podcast looking at that. He said, you know, since the earliest days, right up to today, the Jehovah's Witnesses have been foretelling what would happen on certain dates, and they've never panned out. And he gives you specific cases here. He tells you the name of the book. He tells you the page number in the book, where you can find these. So, as an example, back in 1889, uh, they published something that said the final end of the kingdoms, etc., etc., will be accomplished by the end of 1914. Okay, 1914. And then... In 1917, of course, they'd missed that date, hadn't they? So in 1917, they had another part of that same series, and it says, In the year 1918, when God destroys the churches wholesale and the church members by millions, etc., etc. So they moved it from 1914 to 1918. Well, we know that didn't pan out. Then there's another paperback that they published in 1920. Right now they missed the 1918 deadline. So here comes a 1920 book that says, 1925 shall mark the resurrection of the faithful worthies of old. So you're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these prophets of old. Well, how did that work out? Mm, Not so good. How about uh, 1975? They put out a book in 1966 that talked about 1975. And it says, uh, you know, big things are going to happen. This is the quote. It did not take the brothers very long to find a chart showing that 6,000 years ended in 1975, et cetera, et cetera. And it says Armageddon is very close indeed. So there you are. Um, Let's see. He says he was an active witness at that time in the 70s. And he said, I put off having dental work done and the expectation that 1975 or 1976 at the latest would bring Christ's millennial reign and a restoration of perfect health. And... uh, there's a part of their their own writing that says this. Reports are heard of brothers selling their homes and properties and planning to finish out the rest of their days in this old system in the pioneer service. Certainly this is a fine way to spend the short time remaining before the wicked world's end. So they that was 1974. So they're saying, good, go out and really work like crazy and get rid of all your property and all because 1975 is going to do it. I said, but since they blew that deadline as well, I said their leaders have been a little more cautious when making predictions, but they, they do it. They do it kind of indirectly. They don't really spell it out in black and white. They let you put two and two together. So, for example, in 1985, they noted that the United Nations was proclaiming 1986 as an international year of peace, and they attached a Bible warning to this saying, 
whenever it's that they are saying peace and security, then sudden destruction will be on them. So you can kind of see, it's kind of like warning, hmm, look out for 1986. This says uh, outsiders wouldn't have noticed that, but it says the message came across loud and clear to Jehovah's Witnesses. It said it sent them practically running from door to door to sound that final warning. So they also made a prediction regarding 1989. That didn't happen either. It says they really haven't ever repented of these false prophecies. But it says these earlier blatant predictions for 1914 and 1918 and 1925 and 1975, you can quote those with Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, I said the catch is they're going to say, oh, I don't really believe the organization really published those things. Well, you can show them photostatic, photostatic copies that he put in his book, How to Rescue Your Loved One from the Watchtower. But he, he said they'll probably suspect those copies are tampered with. He said even copies that are put out by... Um, what's called the Impartial Interlibrary Loan Network from Watchtower Originals will be regarded with suspicion. He says, maybe you could suggest to a Jehovah's Witness that he or she could confirm these by comparing them with originals in Kingdom Hall libraries or in personal libraries of longtime Jehovah's Witnesses. He says, you know, by the way, the quotes that he gave about those uh, missed deadlines, he said, he has more than 100 prophetic quotes listed in his book called Index of Watchtower Errors. So I thought that was a fascinating section there. I also thought maybe I've got a couple minutes here. I'm going to give you just a quick run-through of the background of the two leaders of the group. There was Charles Taze Russell, and he basically was breaking off from uh, Adventism and uh, said that at first it seemed like he was okay with all other Protestant groups. And in fact, at one time in 1883, people had talked about maybe starting a new denomination, but his editorial position at that time was, no, uh, we're okay, you know, we're all one, um, no new organization is attempted. But he became, uh, what's the word for it, he, he had more divergent teachings that kind of forced his followers to say, well, I don't think other churches believe this, am I going to go with the other churches or with him? So, for example... He, in 1882, he rejected the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. Well, that's going to set anybody apart from a lot of Christian organizations. Another one was, and this is one I find really interesting, so bizarre, had helped separate him and his followers from traditional churches. He focused on the pyramids of Egypt, especially the Great Pyramid of Giza. He even took people over there on a pilgrimage. So what he did is he wrote at length to say there was a prophetic connection between pyramid measurements, you know, length and height and all that stuff, with the timing of world events. In fact, the dates that he came up with for the rapture and the end of the world derived, at least partially, from pyramid measurements. So I'm going to look at that up. It says C Pyramid. So that's another article he's got in the book here. Uh, he divorced his wife. He and his wife divorced, and it seems to have been a real messy divorce. And it said, uh, makes you kind of wonder whether he really would qualify as an elder today or a pastor of a Bible-believing church based on what happened between him and his wife. Um, let's see. The society started exalting Russell uh, over a period of many years. Here's a tribute to him. In November 1917, the two most prominent messengers are the first and the last, St. Paul and Pastor Russell, that wise and faithful servant. Now many more are recognizing that Pastor Russell is that servant. So putting him up there with Paul, wow, huh, okay. 
Now, it says at the end of that section about Russell that his followers actually kind of split up after his death, and they started going off in different sects, especially the one that they went to with a man named Joseph Rutherford got renamed Jehovah's Witnesses in 1931 to separate it from those other groups that broke off. So who's Rutherford? Well, when Charles Stage Russell died, there was a huge factional battle left behind. And this man, Rutherford, he's called judge because for a while he was on the bench as a substitute jurist. But he he looked at, uh, let me back up. Russell had made very clear written instructions how to distribute his authority among several followers. But Rutherford came along, he ignored that will, and he tried to consolidate power in his own hands, and he kicked out people off the board who didn't support him, and it was quite an internal battle. And after he got complete control, he took an effort basically to eliminate democratic church government and local congregations all over the globe. Why? Because he wanted to have an organization rule from the top down. Okay, uh, he began changing some of Russell's doctrines. Uh, he really downplayed that whole idea of pyramid power. He said he finally reversed the society's position. He said the pyramid was actually Satan. That's who you credit the pyramid to, Satan, the devil, instead of God. Um, under Russell, the Watchtower organization had said Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th, but don't quibble. Just join and join the celebrations. Uh, you know, that's, that's fine. But Rutherford later decided no, and um, he de-emphasized Christ that way. Um, he indulged himself with organization money, even though it said his lectures attacked big business and the wealthy class. He drove 16-cylinder cars. He had a big mansion built in San Diego, lived there with a staff of servants. He was a heavy drinker. He denounced prohibition. He had people high up in the Watchtower organization smuggle liquor into Brooklyn from Toronto, according to a Canadian uh, historian. He and his wife didn't get along. They had an estrangement. He said, kind of makes you wonder. He said, there, there's an impression that Watchtower leaders have typically had difficulty in their relationship with women. Uh, of course, the organization grew, and books came out like crazy during this time period. He was the president from 1917 to 1941. But it said, none of these books remain in use today. They have all sorts of abandoned interpretations that nobody buys into anymore, discontinued doctrines, failed prophecies, which we just took a look at. And it said, uh, basic, this is interesting, an article by a governing board member in the church said Russell talked to him one time and said regarding his misguided statements as to what we could expect in 1925, Rutherford said, I made an ass of myself. So I just wanted to show you a few of the things that make this an interesting book. Obviously, some of this you wouldn't uh, go to a Jehovah's Witness and confront necessarily, but the failed prophecies would be a good one to uh, challenge them with. So the book is called Answering Jehovah's Witnesses, Subject by Subject. I think it's worth taking a look at if you've got anybody in your family, any neighbor or a friend or somebody coming door to door, and you'd like to interact with them, this would be a good place to go to. All right, thanks, and we'll talk to you later.